This is going to be really quick. I'm not taking any questions. We sucked from head to toe. No, I don't think the Sabres are a hungry team. I thought we stunk. I don't know what to tell you. Did you ask them? I, I thought it was probably one of the worst hockey games I've been involved in. I thought the game just sucked. I would have asked for my money back if I'm watching that thing. None of you is don't put words in my mouth. Kiss my ass if, uh, if you want to write something different. I guess that's what I'm saying, Brooksy. You get that through your head? I guess so. Yeah. And it's kind of a waste of time. Though. Well, then get the out of here then okay see ya would you get me the hell out of here please this is the cp shit show Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the CP Shit Show. Thanks for joining us. If you're joining us now, it's uh, joining us like those poor souls that followed uh, David Koresh. Anyways, uh, Jeff, John, what's been going on? <laughs> what's going on? I was telling you guys I was doing the hedge, you know. I was able to get out when the snow was melting last week. I was able to get out at night and have a nice little bonfire out there. So that was, it, the smoke was pretty black. And I was able to burn stuff that normally you can't burn. Wednesday night, the doorbell goes and the package arrives. All right, my drumsticks are here. But I noticed the guy walking away has a long beard and glasses. Well, holy shit, it's Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. Yeah, he's delivering for Amazon. Anyways, I said, Billy, you know, the gear's all set up in the shop. Why don't you come in here and help me break in the new drumsticks? You know, in his ZZ Top voice, he goes, well, you know, I really should get back to work. I said, you're bad. You're nationwide. Fuck Jeff Bezos. So anyways, he comes in, we jam for a bit, had some maple whiskey and stuff, and Diamond Dave shows up, and they get smoking some of Dave's new bland he likes to call chicken shit. Anyways, it was wild. Woke up the next day, Diamond Dave and Billy are gone, but Billy left me a little keepsake. So he forgets to, he uses the washroom and he forgot to flush. And I know what you're thinking. You know, you're going to tell me, how do you know it's not Diamond Dave's deucey left in the toilet? Well, it just so happens that Billy dropped his cheap sunglasses in the bowl, which explains why he didn't flush. Anyways, like I said, same old, same old. Anyways, by the time I got all the dog shit scraped off my boots, it was like four o'clock or so, which was right around when I met you guys at Braumeister. We always have a good time there, so... Awesome. That sounds good. Yeah, the weekend was pretty uh, pretty quiet for me, too. I um, did some farting around the house, and I went over to Tracy's to help her with her chimney. She um, wants to get it cleaned out, so I had to go up there and check on it. But I had to bring two ladders because I had to get up on one roof and then carry the other ladder up on the second roof so I could make it. With my oversized leather jacket, high-top sneakers, and luxurious mullet flowing in the breeze, I knew I had to keep moving as this thing continued to close on me. It was something from another place, another time. But I was the children's only hope from this shape-shifting abomination that aimed to terminate me to terminate us. Fortunately, local bylaws allowed for orphanages to be located next to steel smelting plants, so that gave me an idea. Using only the Swiss Army knife, duct tape, paperclip, shoehorn, pinata, cheese grater, and bottle of lube I always carry in my pockets, I created a giant electromagnet to draw the creature in. Closer and closer, it marched towards its only mission, my extermination. At the last possible nanosecond, 
with all hope appearing to be lost, dramatic music blaring inexplicably all around us, and the children crying for help, sweat glistening off my brow. I cringed my face as hard as I could, activated my trap, and plunged the monster into the molten steel, sealing its doom. Though I remain modest about the events of the day, I can honestly say without hyperbole that I, and I alone, saved not only their young futures, but maybe, just maybe, humanities as well. And then, yeah, I, uh, once I stepped around all that dog shit and car parts to put my stuff away, I uh, headed for home, so uh, mission accomplished. Uh, Kev, how was your weekend? It was kind of like yours. I had to get up on the roof as well. You know, when we had all that uh, warm weather, it, it uh, caused the snow to melt. And when the snow came down, it ripped all the Christmas lights off the uh, garage roof that I had put on. <laughs> Sucker. Yeah, well, you know, and I thought, well, I guess, you know, I'll just go to Canadian Tire and I'll get some new clips and then, uh, you know, get the ladder out. and start. Welcome, 009. We need your service. British intelligence has uncovered evidence that a young boy has put out a hit on Santa. Why would anyone want to do that? Apparently last season, he received coal as his present. The little shit has requested his head as evidence of mission accomplished. What intel do we have on the shooter? Be on the lookout for a tall, thin man with impeccable black hair. He is wearing a long white ski coat with black trim. Last seen driving a 1978 Dodge Fury in the Carlton Place area. He is considered armed and dangerous. Please report to Q for further instruction and weaponry. I need not remind you that millions of children are counting on you. Relax. I'm on it. The world won't lose Santa Claus. You can take that to the bank. Anyway, so it was a pretty uh, pretty easy fix, and, uh, you know, after that, I was able to sit down and have a couple of beers and, uh, you know, listen to some music because I got the stereo going now, and, uh, yeah, all in all, just a pretty great weekend. We do leave some pretty exciting lives, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, that's a word it, for it. You think <laughs> other people sit around and talk about what they do as, as much as we do, as much I, as we like to? I can't believe we're into se- Season 2, Episode 5, and people still want to know what we do every weekend. Right. Well, you know what, though? This is going to be an awesome episode. Who's our guest? Our guest is Jason Clark of the uh, Canadians, and I can't wait to hear uh, what he's got cooking. Yeah, excellent. Well, let's get on with it, right? Woot, woot. I just found a new shampoo that makes your hair so gorgeous and full. You're gonna swear. I swear. Introducing new improved Clairol Herbal Essence Shampoo. Now with a special new conditioner. Wow, has Herbal Essence changed? You get clean with no dry flyaways. Just shiny, thick, and full. Like you got more hair. You're gonna swear. I swear. You got more hair. I got more hair. With new Clairol Herbal Essence. I swear. As you know, there is other hockey in the area, and, uh, Fortunately, we have uh, Jason Clark sitting here with us uh, to talk to us a little bit about real hockey uh, going on in Carlton Place. Now, who is Jason Clark? Jason Clark is the owner, the coach, hockey god. Bus driver. Bus driver. <laughs> laundry guy. Yeah. Marketer. Jason, you can tell us who you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you, have a, <clears throat> when you have a hockey franchise, a junior hockey franchise like we do, you kind of got to do everything, right? So everyone kind of pitches in and does what they can to make things work, but it's been a lot of fun so far. Really enjoy, uh, really enjoy what I do, and 
wouldn't want to be doing anything different, that's for sure. Speaking of hockey franchises, uh, somebody told me you actually just don't own one hockey franchise. You have a few. Yeah, so we uh, we have a U18 team uh, that plays in the uh, the HEO Midget Group, and then we've got the uh, Tier Two or the Tier Two Junior B team that plays in the EOJHL, and then we have a Tier One Junior A team that plays in the CCHL. So if people that are listening that know anything about hockey, about over in Europe, it's kind of like a, a club system. So we're trying to develop the kids at uh, at a young age, at 14 and 15 years old, and bring them along to Junior B, and then bring them up to Junior A, and then you know, along the way, maybe get drafted in the OHL. And if they don't get drafted in the OHL, then, you know, play a little bit, uh, play a little bit longer in, in tier two junior A and try and get a uh, NCAA division one scholarship or go m- or move on to CIS uh, university hockey. So it's, uh, it's how it works with us. And the great thing about that as well, too, is, is that we have affiliation systems with all three teams. So all the U18 kids are affiliated to the junior B so if we have uh, injuries or suspensions, they can get called up right away. And then all the kids from Junior B are affiliated to our Junior A team. So there's an affiliation, and we bring kids in to skate. Um, you know, once a week we'll pick two or three or maybe four guys to move up to the levels, give them a little bit of a taste and kind of how things work. So when, uh, when you've got the, the, the younger kids, obviously they're probably more local, I would assume. And then when do you start uh, drawing kids from – from the United States, from uh, other areas in Canada. So for our U18 team, it works this way: is we have uh, we actually have a draft. So the Junior A League has a draft for their midget team. So usually, what happens is it's um, it goes in order of where the player le- uh, lives from from the specific arena. So it's done all by kilometers. So uh, no player can be drafted uh, to a specific team that's outside of 40 kilometers unless they have permission from the family, right? So it's all about making sure that the kids are still being able to go to school and get in bed on time and, you know, living a proper life, not driving, you know, an hour and a half. You know, you don't want somebody from, you know, Carlton Place driving all the way to Pembroke to go for an hour and a half practice and then driving back home at, you know, 9 o'clock at night. So it's really based on on kilometers. So it's kind of like a lottery. So what ends up happening in the draft is um, all 12 teams put their pick in and then what ends up happening is that if there's a there, if there's a duplicate of the player, the team that has uh, is the kilometers is closest to that player to the arena, that team gets that player, and then we have to re, then the other team would resubmit another player. So and that's the way it goes. It's more of like a like I would say like more of like a lottery draft, you know, for the uh, for the eight rounds. So okay. it's uh, it works out really well to be honest. With you. So it's it really kind of keeps all the, the the local kids as as close as possible you know, to, uh, for travel and where they're playing. And, and it gives an opportunity for, for us to be able to have as many Carlton Place and Elmont kids and Pakenham kids, um, you know, playing in within our organization. When you bring some of these players in that are not local, how does that work? Where are they coming from and why do you have to go to out of town to look for players? So one of the things for, for, for the junior A team is that, um, you know, you've got uh, you have your league championships. You've got your Eastern Canadian Championships, which is the Fred Page Cup, and then you've got the uh, then you got your national championships, which is the RBC. So, you I mean our philosophy has always been is that uh, since we've come into the league, is that we'd like to be able to challenge for a Royal Bank Cup, a national championship every year. Uh, some other teams are our philosophies are a little bit different, but if you want to be able to compete with the with the best teams, you know, in the country, you're going to have to draw some players you know, from outlying areas to be able to make sure you keep yourself competitive. 
So I think one thing that we've always been very mindful is that, and I and I've been in this, I've lived in this town my whole life. Is you know when they had the the Legion Kings back in the day, and and uh, they were doing really well. They had guys from kind of outside the lying areas, but they also also had some local players, and that's when the team was really followed. And then you know kind of ownership changed for a bit in the in the in the late '80s and early '90s. And they just went all local, and then they didn't really win a lot of games, and they weren't very good. So the kind of fan base kind of went down. So we wanted to be able to make sure that we were very mindful of we're trying to develop local local talent, but we also want to be very mindful of that. You know, this is we want this uh, something that the town could be very proud of, and that we could compete for a national championship. And you know, we've had some uh, we've had some really really good local players play. Uh, in our organization, the first ever captain of our of our team was uh, Kyle Phillips, and you know Kyle never played Triple A or Double A. Played Rep B for you know the MTK all the way up, and played Junior B, and then came up and played for our Junior A team. And he got a scholarship to RMC, and and was a captain at RMC, and now he's working for uh, he's working for Hydro. So you know we've got lots of stories. We've had uh, well, we usually have two or three local kids every year, either from Crown Place, Elmont, or Pakenham on our team every year some years we've had four or five but I mean we usually have two or three all the time so it's I think it's really important for the town that you know that we're that we're developing the local talent but that we're also making this town very proud of you know something that they can kind of rally around and you know and be you know be proud of you know what I mean and it's uh it's it's been it's been a lot of fun but it's it's been a lot of work so that's one of the reasons why you got to be able to go outside this area to to be able to recruit really good players. So when you go outside of the area, do you have a scouting team that actually does that, or is that something you do yourself, or how does that work? Well, it's it all started off with uh, this is a funny story actually. Is um, we went through the roster of all eleven teams that were in the league, and when you're when you're the low man on the totem pole, you're never really not going to be able to recruit against uh, any other like any other team. So if I'm if I go into a hot area like you know New York State and I'm trying to battle against the Pembroke Lumber Kings, the Brockville Braves. Like I'm not getting those players. So we went through the list, and there wasn't one player in the league from the state of Michigan. So from the Detroit area. So I circled it on my map and went down there. So for the first, and I can honestly say this, my wife thought I was crazy, but for the first three years that we were in this program, I would drive uh, at least once a month. We would play on Friday nights, and as soon as our game was done on Friday, I would drive through the night to London to the. Um, red roof in yep. right on the uh, on the 401 it was it trust me it was the cheapest place you could yeah. you didn't have a lot of money back then to be able to 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 spend a lot of money on recruiting and then i get up early in the morning and, and finish the rest of the drive because michigan high school hockey had a showcase every saturday okay right so every saturday so i'd get there around uh you know probably around nine o'clock in the morning and then uh, watch hockey from nine o'clock until seven or eight at night and then drive right back to the same place i was at and then uh, drive all the way back for our home games on on Sunday. I did that religiously, you know, every month, once a month for about three years, just to really develop a really good relationship in the uh, in the Michigan area. And you know, we've been able to you know get a lot of really really good players and high end players out of that area. And then you know, once you start recruiting some players and start having a little bit of success and moving players on. You know, you start. We call we don't call them scouts because they don't actually work for your team. We just call them bird dogs. So you got some bird dogs out in. You know, we got some in Nova Scotia and we got some in Minnesota. And then, 
you just start developing these relationships over over the years and you know hey you know Johnny down in uh you know Johnny down in Michigan well you know my cousin's coaching uh, high school hockey in Minnesota I think you should you know I think you should contact that guy they got some good players and and it just rolls and it just kind of rolls from there and I think the big thing is is uh, in junior hockey is that you've got to be working the phones all the time so if you if you're if you're on the phone all the time and steady on the phone all the time, talking to all your bird dogs and what's going on in different leagues and high school hockey and triple A, you're going to be able to continue to, to recruit. So I'm not going to lie to you. I haven't done a lot of traveling over the last three years. You I mean, we're kind of, uh, you know, trying to reap a little bit of the benefits that we've had and some of the contacts that we've have. And I haven't had to spend as much time on the road, but it's still, still a lot of work on the, at the nighttime. Right. So my, my job doesn't end like uh, drives my wife nuts. So you get home from the rink at six o'clock at night and have dinner. And then I'm on the phone just, you know, randomly for two or three hours a night talking to scouts and families and you're always recruiting all the time. Right. right? And I suppose with your success that you've been having, that's also uh, made it a bit easier because other players would want to come and play for you. That's what a lot of people think. Okay. And, and I'll be honest with you. It puts us on, it doesn't make it easier it puts us on the map. So like when we have discussions with players, it's not like, oh, it's current place cans. Oh, I've got to, you know, they got to do their homework and, you know, they, like they know who we are. And then they, it makes it, it makes it a little bit easier when you're kind of, you know, trying to open up the door and, and trying to recruit that player. And we're trying to recruit that family. It opens up a lot more doors, but it doesn't necessarily make it easier. You really got to work to be able to get players. There's just so many options out there now you know what i mean there's 129 junior a teams just in canada that kids can play for then you've got you know then you've got the ohl then you've got prep school then you got the junior a leagues down in, in the u.s and you got prep school in the u.s so it's you still gotta do your homework but our success does certainly opens up a lot of doors and makes the conversations go a little bit smoother and a little bit easier for sure what's it like dealing with the parents that's i'm sure that's a massive part of it because you know you want their kid and you've got to go through them well you mean we all know this and we're all sitting around here we can uh, all wag our dicks as much as we want but our wives make all the decisions so <laughs> when you're recruiting the kids you're talking to the mom mainly right because they really they're, okay. oh yeah their little johnny's going to be away from home for the first time and so on and so forth but i'll be honest with you i've always had this philosophy my grandfather said the same thing to me like way way back when i was a young kid like you're a product of your own environment you're really recruiting the parents so if you can get a really good read on on the mom and dad and their values and how they approach things and some of the questions and i have some questions that i ask like to see how they uh how they kind of react and you know what i mean you're you're really recruiting the parents so you know the parents are their, their kids right so like you're a product of your own environment so Usually if the parents are real good within the, within the recruiting, you know, the process, then, you know, you're usually not going to have very many problems with the kid. And if you do, then you can go back to the parents and have them lean on the kid a little bit. Right. So it's taken me a while to figure it out. It's, that's never, it's never perfect. Right. And, uh, you make some mistakes, uh, good ones and bad ones, but you I mean, you just, uh, it's just, I think it's the way you, you deal with the mistakes and just make sure you don't make the same, make the same mistakes over and over again. Right. So. So what happens to the kids then that you recruit from, say, Michigan? How do they end up staying in Carlton Place? Do they go to school here? How does that work once they, they've agreed to come and play for you? Yeah, so we have, uh, we've got a great billet coordinator, Connie Bean, and, and my wife helps her out. She's been with us for a very long time. And, and the billing process is actually is a, is a pretty neat process. So they've come up with a, with a pretty good system. And, and what they do is they literally, like, we interview the, the billets. And then the billets are the most important part right, of the whole program. So... 
when you interview the billets, you you got to find the the kid that they want. You know, the you know the the time that they have to spend. Do they want an older guy? Do they want a younger guy to be with their family? Do they want a role model? Do they want somebody that you know needs to have their meal cooked and so on and so forth? Because there's we have some billets, you know what I mean that are that are there and they just want the twenty year old kid that you know like you know for instance uh, Mark Gormley's been a been a a billet of ours for for years and he's surrounded by three women all the time so he wants to have a he wants to have a guy in the house and a buddy in the house but he also doesn't want to cook and clean and all that kind of stuff for him so he always gets one of the 20 year olds every year and you know and that that's his that's his buddy right so it's kind of that's you know that's that family and then we have other families where you know they'd like to have a younger kid because they've got young they got young children at the house and they want players that are you know that that like that like kids. So and it reverses right back to the you know to the families when we're recruiting them. You know you you mean what you know from cooking. You know can you cook from one to ten? Is it a one or is it a ten? Right. <laughs> you know can can the kid do laundry? You know what I mean. Does he does he have any allergies? Does he want to live with another player? Does he want to live with an older family, younger family? Does he like kids? Does he you know? So then we just kind of have a little bit of an interview process and just kind of match them from there. And I mean nothing's ever perfect, but we we certainly don't have to move kids around uh, out of billets too 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 much. But if we don't have billets, I mean we don't have the program that we have. And I'll be honest with you, I mean the billets that we have, their families are just unbelievable. You know, without the billet support, like emotional support for the players, you I mean we can have billet families. But if you don't have good billet families, you I mean kids go on roller coaster rides. You know, what I mean you know it's there's ups and downs during the season and. You know, being a Carlton Place Canadian is, is, is not the easiast thing, you know, in, in the world every day because we're holding our kids accountable and it's tough practices and, you know, it's mandatory to go to school and we've got our own gym and it's it's a very structured program and some kids just aren't used to that and being away from home. So without the emotional support, you know, from our billets and, and, and the way they treat the kids, the kids wouldn't be successful and, and our program wouldn't be successful. I remember going out uh, to tournaments when I was a kid thinking, this is crazy. I got to stay, I got to stay with another family for the whole weekend. And I was fearing it and fearing it by the end of the weekend, I had made so many new friends and like, I just wanted to stay. And that doesn't happen anymore. I can't believe that they don't do it anymore. I remember the big thing, like when we were kids with the big old diamond Dave, right? (laughs) So Dave and I played on the uh, Ottawa Valley Titans and we actually won the silver stick. And we went to the International Silver Stick. Now, that was that's the big cheese. That's the big tournament, and it's held in Michigan every year. Well, they bill it every, like, every player. So the dads liked it because they didn't have the kids with them, right? So the dads were on party mode 24-7 because they had no kids to take care of. They just show up at the rink and try and watch the game if they could keep their head off their uh, off the off their shoulders or whatever from drinking too much but you I mean we we stayed with a family and that family that we stay in Mich- I stayed in Michigan with and uh, Martin Panzeroff and I stayed together Martin was uh from the Czech Republic and um we st- I still to this day still stay in contact with a family that I stayed with in Michigan you know when I was 15 years old so you I mean billeting to me was a was a was a great uh was a great experience. It's the first time I ever heard anyone call McDonald's McDicks. I'm like, hey, uh, Clarky, you want any McDicks? I'm like, well, what's that? McDonald's. You, go, you Canadians, you guys don't, you Canadians don't know much, do you? It's like, right. So it was, uh, it was a great experience. I, I thought the building experience was awesome. And then, you know, when I left this, I played in the CC and the CCHLs as a, in Smith Falls and got traded to Kingston. And then I was billeted for the rest of my career from the time I was 17 till I was 20 years old. So, I mean, I still talk to that family as well, too, and very close with them. And, I mean, billeting's a huge, huge part. Like, like they're your, 
like they're your mom and dad like when you when you're gone away from home right they're your they're your they're your emotional support all the time so billets are a really really big key not only to our organization but to hockey right across the country speaking of the uh crossing over to the border how's the how's the pandemic affected players coming up recruiting life at the rink can you touch on that a bit uh... it's you know covid's like everybody else you know everyone everyone's got their own sob stories about covid right so it's had its challenges for sure but um, we've been able to get a couple of the Americans across the border. They've been able to, to get across because they were going to school. And uh, they had to do a 14-day quarantine. And I'll be honest with you, uh, the border control folding them, I'm going to say the two Americans, I'm going to say probably five or six times during that uh, that two weeks. Like they're not messing around, and nor should they. Yeah. Right? So it's, uh, it's something serious. So you just got to follow all the rules and do what you have to and, uh, you know, and just abide by it. But, I mean, there's been – I think if you just – if you want to be negative, you can always just be negative, right? right? But if you try and take the positives out of uh out of out of something like this, you mean uh there has been some positives. I mean the guys are obviously there's not much more to do, so the guys are spending a lot more time together. Um, you know what I mean? So they're uh, they're pretty tight together as a team. And uh, you know, there's been no body contact, but you know, I I think that uh our attention to detail you know, on the ice with uh, angling and, and stick on puck and, you know what I mean, and, and mm-hmm. making sure we're on the right side of the puck all the time has, has has really improved because you have to really emphasize that, right? Right. So that's been an important part, and we've seen a lot of improvements in our players with those specific habits. So, you mean, you can be negative all day you want, but you gotta, you got you to gotta find some positives in a – you know, in a pretty shitty situation that we're all in, you know, whether it's hockey or just life or small boat on a small business or whatever, it's got to, you got to try and take some positives out of it. Right. So, and you know, you were mentioning earlier to me that uh, you're playing an exhibition season right now. Is that uh, what's going on? Yeah. So we're, we're playing female, female hockey rules. We're playing an exhibition, but we're not, we're not allowed to change our bubbles. That's a big thing that people don't understand, like in, in terminologies, like you have your, your specific team bubble um, and then you have cohorts and, so right now we have a 25-man team bubble, and we can't change that bubble. It's it's, it's stayed the same, um, and then uh, we can have another we can have exhibition games against another co- another bubble. So that becomes our cohort. So we can only have a cohort of 50 uh, as of right now, and we've been playing the Smith Falls Bears. So uh, 10 times has been a little bit long in the tooth, um, but you want to know what? It could be worse. We we could have no season not playing at all. Right. So. Um, it's made things a little bit different for sure. There's been some, there's been some adjustments, you know, for, you know, how we do things uh, at the rink, and and we've added some some other measures that we that we believe that are a little bit more important than what other people's you know might matter. So, for instance, all of our kids that come in the rink all have their temperature checked all the time. It's not mandatory with the, with the health units, but um, we're doing it. So we want to be able to make sure that, uh, all the kids are, are healthy when they're coming in. Each kid's allowed to have one parent in the rink to watch practice, but we've banned all parents from the rink just to keep it easier on the current place Canadian staff and not having to deal with people coming in and out. I mean, it's practice and you know, they're 16 and 17 and 18 year old kids. There's, there's no need to really to honestly be in there. And, and, uh, we're not allowed, we're not allowing the, the kids to shower either as well, even though that, you know, we, we can, technically have the, the kids shower they just got to be out within 20 minutes of well, you're kind of in and out but we're not allowing them to shower either it's just one more thing that the, the staff arena has to do and there's you know there's a lot of stress in everybody and I think that uh you know any relationship that you have in life I mean it's it's better to have a, a two-way street than a one-way street because as soon as it's a one-way then that's when uh, things start to go a little bit sour so it's uh 
it's had its challenges. There's no doubt about it. But you want to know what? Uh, I think we just continue to 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 mosey on and do our thing, and still and still continue to. We're we're running our program just like we be we be playing in a regular season. We're still in the gym every day, still doing video. All of our guys are going to school. We're on the ice every day. We're doing individual skills. Um, we're running all our video stuff and sending it to Division One schools. All of our players got their academic profiles and and video profile stuff, and we're still sending stuff to all the Division One schools. And um, we're gonna have an announcement probably in the next day or two. But we got another uh, another player that's gonna get a full ride to. Uh, to a Division One school down in, uh, in in the state of Michigan, so that's something Beauty. that will yeah that we'll be pretty proud of. So, even during the pandemic, we're still you know able to you know move somebody on. So, and hopefully, we'll be able to do a few more as well too. So, but it's uh, it's had its challenges, but you want to know what? You just got to keep on moving forward and try and take the more positives than negatives and try and make the best of it, right? So, if the kids feel that you know, that you're negative and, and you're not enjoying your, yourself and, and, and that you're not trying to look at the positives. That'll rub off, yeah. It rubs off on them. <clears throat> so trust me, there's been some days where I've uh, put on a pretty pretty good face because uh, <laughs> some days I get on the ice, I'm not very happy with the way things are going. But uh, but the kids have done a really good job. And, you know, and, and you have to tip the hat to the kids, to be honest with you. I mean, we can talk about all the adults and we can talk about, you know, taking temperature checks and, you know, the adults are doing the right things. I mean, the kids are 16 to 20 year old kids like they're kids so we haven't had one positive test on our team you know since since august so they're doing their due diligence by wearing their masks and social distancing and you know we've had a bubble we created our own bubble uh, so when all the kids got into town they're not allowed to leave carlton place so we actually started the season off with 25 players and then we were down to 23 because after the first uh the first week, we had two guys decide that it was it was a good idea to go to Gatineau to visit their girlfriends in the biggest hotspot. So they're no longer with their team, and we brought in two new guys. And tough lesson for them to to, to learn. But you want to what it it like this is something serious, and you got to be able to follow these specific rules to keep everybody safe, right? And you have to tip the hats to the kids. It's that's literally not the adults. I mean, mm-hmm. the kids are following the rules away from the rink. So if they weren't doing it away from the rink, we'd have positive tests, right? So you kind of got to tip your hat to them, and and they're showing a lot of maturity. I'm really really proud of our our group of midget kids and junior B and and junior A. They've done a, they've done a fantastic job. That's excellent. So the um, I noticed in the rink that there are some seats that say "sit here, sit here." So you are allowing or are able to have some fans come to some of the games. Are they mostly the the kids' parents coming to the game? Or are they long-standing season ticket holders? Who are they? Well, a little bit of both. But our long-standing season ticket holders were dying pretty hard for uh, for to, to watch some hockey. So we uh, we had to go to town council um, to be able to to allow us to have fans, and and we really appreciate the council's support. Um, there's a few people that weren't supporting it, but the town council kind of, you know, overruled a few things, and we really appreciate their support because we we have no income coming in now, right? We have no sponsorship, mm-hmm. uh, no no money coming in for fans, so you know every little bit uh, every little bit counts uh, when you're when you're going through something like this. And it takes a lot of uh, volunteers to run a home game, whether we have fans in the rink or not. Like we've got online scoring, we've got cameras, we've you got our music, you've got all of our our video camera stuff, our guy that's uh, cutting clips. So we can't really have fifty. Because it takes, uh, we have got about ten volunteers that that run our games for us, so we're only allowed to have 40, uh, 40 fans, and you know, forty fans is better than nothing to be yeah, honest with sure. you. So it hasn't been held hard to sell out either game. So we sold out e- both games like within ten minutes. So <laughs> we haven't mean, had fans so. in years, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> four would be nice. <laughs> 
Jason, you mentioned about uh, Diamond Dave earlier, and I, I just found out yesterday for the first time you and Dave grew up together and played hockey. Uh, do you have any classic sort of Diamond Dave for our huge amount of Diamond Dave fans that listen to the show? I'll be honest with you. Dave was, was pretty quiet back back in his day when he was younger. He always played the game really hard. He was a great teammate, unbelievable teammate. Um, everyone knows he's a great guy, but he was uh, he was an unbelievable teammate, and we had a lot of fun. We had uh, we spent a lot of time together in the rink. I mean, to, to be able to play uh, back then, it was Double A play for the Ottawa Valley Titans. I mean, it was a it was a big commitment. We we're on the ice five five sometimes six days a week from right from September all the way to March, and we didn't do anything else other than play hockey. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of the families that we played with. All the all the families were blue collared workers, so there was no like you know just them you know it was five thousand dollars back then to play to mm-hmm. play double A and five thousand dollars right now is a lot of money, so it was, it was a lot of money back then. But we had a really we had a pretty decent team, so we used to go on a lot of tournaments. But it was a really really fun group, and and you want to what made it it made it fun as the kids were fun, but the parents were unbelievable. You know, you can get into some minor hockey stuff where this parent doesn't like that guy, and there's always you know there's always a little bit of a riff. In the four years or five years that we played together, there was absolutely zero rifts with the parents at all. Like the the bad part was that they all got along too much. So you go to a tournament and you know all the dads were just like lit right up right from Friday <laughs> to Sunday, and they're all making sure the wives weren't coming and <laughs> trying to all get all all around with each other. And so oh yeah, there was they were all great guys. I mean we had some really good players too as well. Like Trevor Doyle played on that team. Trevor. Um, Trevor played a little bit in the NHL, played the American League. We had Sean Donovan that played uh, played up and down with that team he played. Uh, Todd White was up and down with his team playing with us and kind of and playing with the other with the other team. We had uh, the late uh, Mark Yakubuski was a really good friend of mine. Yeah. He played on that team. Him and I were, were were very very close and our and our wives and hit it off as well too. And you know you get into life, we got separated a little bit after, but you know we still had that uh, had that time as well too and. Oh God, we had so many good players. We had Davey on the team. We had the the Hudson goaltender and Chris Osborne. Ozzy was, you know, an unbelievable goaltender that played for the Renfrew Timberwolves and was one of the best, you know, junior B goaltenders ever to play in the in the UJOHL. So we had some had some characters. There's no doubt about it. But those uh those days were the best days of best days that I ever had in my life were playing were playing minor hockey with those guys. So it was, uh, it was a really tight group really tight group that's awesome with that in mind too uh in the spirit of diamond dave do you have a favorite beer i'm not i'm i'm a pretty plain jane to be honest with you i could i can i can crush a couple bud lights in my day like i like the bud <laughs> oh, light the shit beer guy <laughs> yeah yeah i am as soon as i saw you guys pull out all the uh, craft beers here i'm like oh these guys aren't gonna like me very much <laughs> oh we like you it's but, just we just don't like your beer yeah. <laughs> i'll drink beer in the winter but in the summertime i like uh i like my alcohol drinks so yeah, I like maple whiskey too as well. Oh, drinking that. oh yeah. Drinking that on the rocks with a beer is... Uh, now you're talking, Jeff. So <laughs> yeah. Sort of lay. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's the good stuff. Well, I want to thank you, Jason, for coming and uh, telling us about your uh, the hockey teams and uh, filling us in on some of the information. We did happen to notice that you were up in the stands at a couple of our games, so can you tell us why you were up there doing that? Well, last... Uh, I was actually at, at your uh, last Sunday's, uh, Sunday's game, and I was... Uh, Noticed that I noticed a lot number uh, number twenty one white for Jackson Holmes saw the way he played hockey so I figured I'd see if I could uh, see if he uh, okay now might who, be able who is to... that look that up who's, that's who's uh, that? uh, Brendan Brendan Hines Brendan yeah Hines. Hey, Brendan, Brendan Hines yeah, big yeah. fan of the show yeah I just oh. saw the way he played the game I thought he looked more like a bus driver rather than a <laughs> hockey player so 
Just wanted to see if he could give me a give me a call. We need a bus driver coming up for the upcoming weekend. So if you could send me his number, that'd be great. <laughs> Anything we could do to help. Yeah, yeah for sure. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, Jason, from uh, from the three of us, hockey hockey players here. It's been great talking to you, learning the uh, ins and outs of all you do, and uh, we wish you the best. Thanks. Thanks for uh, having me on the show, and uh, I'm a I'm a current place. Uh, I'm not born and raised, but but raised in current place my whole life, and really like the the, the stuff you guys are doing and talking about the town and on a on a fun manner and on a, such a serious manner. I think that's uh, I think that's important especially during a time like this. So thanks for having the show and you guys keep up the great work and having great, uh, great topics to talk about. And hopefully it won't be my last time on the show. If you guys will have me back, maybe. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. For sure. You can have hockey minute with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Thanks, thanks again, guys. Jason. Appreciate Take care. It. Bye. Hi, I'm Kevin Boyce, top scorer in the CPSHL. As the number one sharpshooter in the league, many players ask me, Kev, at your age and skating ability, how do you maintain your edge? Well, I have a secret, and now I'm sharing it with you. Mind Gain. It's a nootropic developed by neuroscientists. Mind Gain delivers the nutrients your brain needs when stressed or performing at a high level. I mix one packet of Mind Gain to 12 ounces of water and drink it 45 minutes before game time. It allows me to focus and make decisions on the ice faster. No, I'm not saying it's all Mind Gain. Most of my dominance is God-given talent, but Mind Gain gives me that little edge, the edge I need. So order some Mind Gain today. Go to www.mindgain.co and seize the day. Use coupon code CPSHOW10 to save 10%. Welcome to Diamond Dave's Beer of the Week. Hey, look who's here. It's Diamond Dave. Hey, Davey, what would you bring us today? Well, with all the great weather we've had, I've had a chance to go up to uh, Georgetown, Ontario and visit a brewery called The Furnish Room. Furnish Room Brewery opened its doors on December 14th, 2018 at 1 Elgin Street in Georgetown, Ontario and quickly gained popularity by producing premium quality craft beers. They exploded into the craft beer industry and were forced to double their production capacity within six weeks of sales. Today, boys, I brought you uh, their red ale. It's called the Right House Red Ale. So, Johnny, tell us what, what makes a red ale versus a regular ale. Oh, it's just the malt color in it. it it's more it's uh, more of a malty beer than a uh, hoppy beer, and the color of the malts, they make it have a, a very nice coppery, ruby red kind of color. So, And uh, it's definitely got more on the side of malt than it does on the side of uh, hops. Okay. So what an excellent thing. And before we start, I'd just like to say... This is my favorite time of the week. Diamond Dave's here. It's the beer of the week. We're good to go. He's got his campfire shirt on. You know it's going to be a good episode. All right. Well, let's uh, have a smell of this and tell me what you uh, what you get off of it. I am smelling like that uh, sort of a caramel uh, hoppy, or not hoppy, caramel malty kind Again of with the smell. caramel. We're caramel. Canadian. Yeah. Caramel. caramel. Say it. Caramel. Caramel. I say it the same way. Caramel in California. That is a great after-dinner uh beer i think because it's got an awesome sort of malty flavor that just makes a nice smooth after dinner ah that's nice you're not punched in the face with hops i like getting punched in the face with hops from time to time for my beers but there's certain times this is a great after dinner drink perfect for that great great flavor in this i think and you know what i i like about this too is that uh the finish is a nice crisp finish i find that um, sometimes when you get into the multi type beers, there's a more of a, a sweet sort of finish to it. 
this is more of a, a crisp, dry finish I kind of like. Yeah, and, and also if, if the beer's got a lot of um, bittering hops too, you get a bit of a lingering sort of, what the hell is that at the end? This just finishes, like you say, Kev, just boom, just awesome. And it leaves a lingering flavor that's nice, not something like, oh, Jesus, what the hell is that? I didn't expect that. John, what do they mean by malt centered ale? It's the the malt flavor is what's it's it's the primary. Everything. Yeah, okay. whereas an right. IPA would They're be focusing uh, on the malt. Yeah, IPAs okay. are hop centered, right? Okay. This is malt centered, and you can totally tell. But this is not a beer for those guys in the league that like after uh, hockey beer. I would not take this one. You might pass out. What's the alcohol percentage and stuff on this, uh, Davy? The ABV on this is uh, five point three, IBU fifteen, and the SRM's eight. Okay, so 15 for the uh, IBU, that is that is not a very uh, bitter beer at all. No, no. It's a nice finish to it. That's a great beer, though. I, I really enjoy that. Yeah. So I'll read the back of the can here just to give you a little. It's, it's called a Wright House Red Ale, as Dave said. It said Wright House was a Georgetown landmark from 1913 to 2003. Warm meals, many a refreshing beer welcomed train travelers and locals alike. Yeah, I think they do that for all their beers, they give a brief description of why they chose the name i guess so that's right this is the furnace room brewery right house red ale it's a it's a really great malt centered uh after dinner drink <laughs> and welcome by train travelers everywhere <laughs> all right we'll take a little break uh, finish our glasses and come back for another one from furnace room brewery Well, that was really delicious. I like that uh, red ale. What else did you bring us? Well, gentlemen, I brought a chicken man pale ale. This beer would have probably served better in our last episode, but uh, this is uh, quite the artwork on this. It's got a guy driving a bicycle with a chicken on the back. <laughs> Looks pretty neat. It literally is chicken man. Yeah, it would have been good for last episode. Yeah, in honor of the uh, town passing the chicken bylaw. Uh, so, <laughs> I love the can. Love the artwork. Pedaling his bike around town with his trusty chicken aboard, the Chicken Man, as he was known, has become iconic to the residents of Georgetown. So there really is a Chicken Man. Yeah. God, I hope he doesn't really dress like that. <laughs> See, it's funny, if you read further down, though, he says uh, no one knew him, I don't think. Yeah, it says, although his identity yeah. is uncertain and his whereabouts are unknown, his legend lives on. Would you go up to this guy pedaling down the street with a chicken on his bike and try and just strike up a conversation and get some info? Well, let's find out if the chicken beer is as legendary as the chicken man himself. If it's half as good as the artwork on the can, this is going to be a good beer. <laughs> okay, John, you had a reason that we wanted to start with the red ale before this one. Yes, because this one is, uh, according to Dave's specs, which he will give us momentarily, it has a higher hop content and it is more bitter. So this would give you what they call in the biz palate fatigue. If you drink a hoppy beer, it's kind of like having spicy food and then having something after. Um, well, that's I get a lot delicate, after you know? spicy food. You can't, uh, you can't taste the food. So you have to drink beer in the proper order, too, so that you don't burn out your palate before you get the full range of flavors. Well, before we get to it, Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about the beer? This pale ale is flavorful, dry, sessionable, made with medley of three different hops and a punch of citrus. Full of stone fruit flavors, but not too bitter. Yeah, I like that one. And you can kind of taste those those stone flavors. I find there's like peach and apricot kicking around in the back. 
funny you mentioned the in the description that it's sessionable because I always sort of take that as an easy drinking kind of beer. So when it's a pale ale, I kind of expect it to be more hoppy. But with the sessional bit, it's a it's an easy drinking pale ale. They're usually lighter ABV as well, aren't they not? Like in the forest? Yeah, they sort of taste like... I, to me, I've never liked sessionable beers because they always taste like they've taken a decent beer and just watered it down a bit. So it, this doesn't say it. At 5.3, I never would cross my mind, or 5.4 alcohol, it would never cross my mind that it's a sessionable beer at that alcohol content. No. Though it does taste lighter than i anticipated at 5.4 i would never have anticipated a guy would be riding around with a chicken on his bicycle either but no dave a, rides around on his bike a lot but never with the never chicken, with chicken. No. well to our knowledge sounds a little dangerous how are the chickens dave they're doing well i have uh instead of upscaling they're getting downscaled to get my uh shop back so they're going down to a small little pen area and i'm gonna get my big 22 by 12 shed back so okay be good. you're gonna tell us your taking some of them one-way trip to the country no no i'm just downsizing uh their uh, house well you know what guys this furnace room beer i i've seen uh, very little of it on the shelves i'm really happy you found this dave because i found i enjoyed both these beers both a bit different both had great flavor uh both weren't overwhelming in either like in anything it was just a great beer what do you got up your sleeve for the next one do you have any idea uh, not yet. We'll see how the weather goes. Looks pretty wet this week, but we'll see. And if anyone is looking for this Chicken Man Pale Ale, uh, you don't necessarily have to go to Georgetown. I believe they have it in uh, Canada Liquor Store beside the Farm Boy. Yep. yep. So of the just before we end it, Kev, of the two, if you had to pick, which one did you like the best? I honestly like them both. I, I don't want to be a fence sitter, but I mean, I would drink them in different cases. Like you said, if I wanted to sit down at night and have a really nice beer, I would sit down and have a red ale. If I was sitting around in the afternoon and had a really nice uh, beer, I would sit down and have the Chicken Man beer. I was but going to say the same thing. Good afternoon beer for the Chicken Man. I will definitely, uh, you know, if I see them on the shelf, I would definitely pick them up and, and bring them home. You guys ruined it for me. I thought we were going to vote, but you both said the same thing that uh, you like. That, that's a good, Kev made a good point. If I had to gun to my head and I only could drink one, I would take the red ale. I really like the flavor of it, but I wouldn't drink that in the middle of the summer. But the chicken man I would take down in the summertime. So, yeah, good beers definitely for, for different occasions. Um, but I really like the red ale. I haven't had a good red ale, red ale in a long time. That was fantastic. I'm going to go with the Chicken Man Pale Ale. I like it. I love that I, Dave went with the Chicken Man Pale not Ale. Not that I wouldn't drink the Red Ale. It's, sense. it's nice, but uh, the Chicken Man uh, has some good flavor. The only thing about the Chicken Man beer is if he was wearing one of Diamond Dave's campfire hoodies, then we'd be good. And he had more hair. Well, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Furnace Room. You made our night. And thank you, Dave. See you again. Hey, Christmas episode coming up, so uh, put your uh, Christmas thinking cap on, all right? Yeah, don't bring us any eggnog beers, though, Dave. I'll barf. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Dave. See you, guys. See you, Dave. This is Jason Clark, and you're listening to the CP Shit Show. And here we are with our three-style and 30-second rant. You know what bugs me? The way reporters talk. Nobody in regular society talks like this. Why are they all trying to channel William Shatner. And while I understand that they are trying to accentuate the critical points in their stories, it really is quite annoying. So please, for the love of God, just stop. And that's what's bugging me. You know what bugs me? Pole walkers. 
No, not Paul Walker's. He's a great guy and a hell of a good cook. I'm talking about those idiots that walk around with ski poles, but no skis. Pardon me, but what the fuck? Unless I'm seriously mistaken, the only reason you should have a ski pole in each hand is because you have a ski on each foot. It's called skiing. Let me guess. Oprah said it was good for you. Or Dr. Oz said it would cut inches off your waistline. Well, congratulations to Mountain Equipment Co-op or Bushtaka or whoever sold you imaginary winter decathlon wannabes on the idea that walking around with ski poles was a cool hip thing. Because you look like just another lost dumbass who just had their skis stolen. And that's what bugs me. You know what bugs me? Fancy coffee shops. There was a time that you wanted a cup of joe, you could go to a coffee shop and get a coffee. Black, sugar, or cream. Maybe both sugar and cream. That was your choice. But then it started. Ever so slowly, they started adding choices. Milk or cream? Raw or white sugar? Honey? Maple syrup? And then it got stupid. Now offering to pick up coffee is a job. A job I don't want. Can I help you? I would like a coffee. Do you want it flat, white, cappuccino, frappe, latte, with almond milk, soy milk, oat milk, cow milk, full fat, half fat, no fat, would you like a flavor shot? After I grind the beans and run it through this $3,000 fancy hot water maker, I'll decorate the foam with a leaf swirl. When you finally get your coffee, it's five bucks. Five bucks! It's coffee, people. Give me the days when Robert Young would ask me if I've switched to Sanka yet. If I want a dessert, I would ask for dessert. Just make me a friggin' coffee. And that's what's bugging me. Well, that's it for episode five. Dreamy, wasn't it? We want to thank Jason Clark of the Carlton Place Canadians organization for coming by the secret location and talking all things hockey. We apologize, Clarky, for that whole bag over the head thing, but secret locations are meant to be kept secret. Here at the CP Shit Show Studios, the elves are already working on a special magic Christmas episode, and Diamond Dave is busy finding a perfect holiday brew to review. Hopefully McCluskey gets back in time to switch his bicycle tires to winter ones, or it may get a wee bit slippery out there. If you want to send us a comment or thought about this episode, or any episode, or even a Christmas shortbread cookie recipe, we can be found on Twitter at That CP Show, Facebook at facebook.com forward slash That CP Show, and our new Instagram account, That CP Show, or via good old email at thatcpshow at gmail.com. Our original theme music is Compliments of Morris Bell. Until next time, this is Jeff on behalf of Kevin and John reminding all our listeners that spreading joy this time of year makes you feel oh so good. But it feels even better when you spread the word about this podcast. So until next episode, farewell. Nice to be in orbit. Can, can you mute for mute for a sec? Me, then you're <clears throat> oh, excuse me. You, you have like a hidden camera somewhere too. <laughs>